Chapter 11 Now I have crust left over, what do I do with it? And with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7 Savings and Investments It may be years before you have to worry about what to do with extra cash, but it is worth some consideration as you work toward your plan of a 50% sauce to crust ratio. You need a place to stash cash that is liquid and safe while you are saving up a nest egg that will actually hatch someday. Suppose that you have established your standard of living where you are comfortable and you have already purchased a modest home with 20% down and are already paying down your 15-year mortgage. You have developed good savings habits while you are saving up your down payment. Now you have extra cash every month that is building up toward your your next long-term goal. Resist the temptation to increase your standard of living as your income increases. That is what everyone else does and who wants to be like everyone else? For liquid savings, I would recommend you open an insured money market account wherever you can get the best rate. Since money market accounts are FDIC insured, it really doesn't matter which financial institution you use. Pick your favorite. There are several online options for e-banking that may have better rates than brick and mortar banks. It is handy if your online accounts can be used to transfer money easily between your banks and money market accounts. That way, if you happen to relocate, you are never farther from your money than your computer, no matter where you live and where your banks are located. All things were created spiritually. Now that you have developed an expertise at creating a spending plan for current expenses and staying within it, you are prepared to create a savings plan. Saving money for specific purposes in the future is really no different than making a spending plan for future spending. It is like the Lord creating the earth spiritually before it was created temporally. I cannot tell you what your goals will be, but most likely you will want to have money set aside for your children's higher education and missions and your own retirement. Shorter range goals might be to save for a vacation that you want to take as a family. Or maybe you are saving for a new car to replace the adventure and auto mechanics that you bought several years ago. Saving up for future purchases is a lot like buying things on installments, only in reverse. You put a little toward each goal every month. The difference is, of course, that interest will be working in your your favor instead of against you. Everyone has a unique style when it comes to managing savings. You may want to have all your savings in one account and just keep track of the various goals toward which you are saving, or you may prefer to open separate savings or money market accounts for each savings fund. Whatever you choose to do, it is a good idea to have at least one savings account to which you have ready access for emergencies that come up when your sauce calls for help. The boss might pay. You may be working for a company that has, as an employee benefit, some type of retirement savings program. Some companies actually match employee contributions to their fund up to a certain percentage. If you have that option, elect the maximum contribution as this is free money and your employer's share also counts toward your 50%. Any part of your income that you are not consuming in living costs is part of your crest. Whether it is set aside for retirement or any other savings goal, it still counts. It will not hurt to also have some of your own money in a Roth IRA or 401k plan, but do not bet the farm. IRAs, for better or worse. This is an interesting subject, particularly since almost anyone you ask will tell you that IRAs are wonderful because they defer taxes. The IRA is a sacred cow in investment circles. Well, let us examine that cow in the real world. I realize there are newer types, such as the Roth IRA, with different parameters, but for this discussion I will confine my analysis to traditional IRAs individual retirement accounts, because that is all that was available in my funding years. My first experience with an IRA was with San Diego Federal Credit Union. I was 25 years old and they had a promotion for setting up a new IRA account. I'm always good for a free toaster or whatever the premium happens to be, so I signed up for a $1,000 account. 
When I got home, I read the fine print and realized that I would not have access to those funds until I was 59 and one half years old. When you are 25 years old, you think the world will end before you ever get to be 59 and one half. Moral of the story, read the fine print before you sign up for something, not after. So I went back to the bank the next day to see if I could undo what I had done. First, they told me that if I withdrew the funds, there would be a 10% penalty. Well, that is a pretty steep hit for one day's activity. I had to talk to several people to get the account canceled, but eventually I was able to get my money back with only a $25 charge. I do not remember if I got to keep the toaster, but it was a cheap lesson either way. Educate yourself before you sign anything. It is always easier to get into a contract than it is to get out of one. Strike one. At that age, I did not think that I could commit $1,000 of my savings to a goal that was 35 years down the road. I had more immediate needs for that cash, like saving up for the down payment on my house. Remember that these were 1970s dollars and were probably worth three to four times what today's dollars are worth. So after that, I started evaluating the merits and demerits of investing inside or outside of qualified plans. Once we had purchased our first home, I started having available savings again, so I began participating in my employer-sponsored retirement plan. My employer was nice enough to match my contributions. This was a qualified 401k plan, which converted to a self-directed IRA when I left the company. Fast forward 20 years to 1995. Due to my faithful savings habit, I now had a substantial sum accumulated inside a qualified plan that I could not get to because I was not old enough according to the terms established for IRAs. 59 and one half years old to withdraw without penalty. I was paying 9% interest rate on a mortgage for my home, which I wanted to pay off as quickly as possible. This is where it gets strange. I calculated that I would be better off to withdraw funds early from my IRA and pay the taxes and the penalties in order to pay off a portion of my 9% mortgage. Here's why. For every dollar taken out of the IRA, I would pay a 10% penalty. But for every dollar I pay in principal on my mortgage, I would save 9%. Am I nuts? No, because the penalty is almost a wash in the first year, and every dollar paid against the principal on the mortgage saves 9% every year thereafter. That is the part most people do not think about when they are considering paying off debt. I am not considering the tax impact of the withdrawal on, in this example, because the tax will need to be paid whenever it is withdrawn, be it now or later. Admittedly, it would have been better to take funds from another source, but I did not have a non-qualified plan with enough cash in it to do the same thing. Strike two. I did not pull it all out to pay off debt, so right now I still have a substantial IRA account. I'm actually almost old enough at this writing to start taking distributions without penalty. Guess what? I retired nine years ago, so I have all this money for my retirement that I cannot get to without penalty because someone in the government decided that no one would ever want to retire before 59 and one half. Strike three. Even though I have already struck out, there is even more bad news when you look at the tax implications. The sales pitch for traditional IRAs is that you put money into a qualified plan to defer the taxes until you supposedly will be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Well, guess what? Who thinks taxes will be lower in the future? Raise your hand. Long ago, I looked at the, dem the demographics for my generation, the post-World War II baby boomers. And even though Sister Lindorf and I did our part to have a large family, most of my generation did not. Sounds like that broad road again. So what happens next? Baby boomers will all retire eventually, and we'll, we will end up with a top-heavy population, a smaller working class supporting a large retired population. This is no longer a pyramid, it is a mushroom. Do the math, you will not like the way this picture turns out. 
The government is already devaluing the dollar as fast as possible so it can pay future indebtedness with cheaper dollars. I will not even get into the impact of Obama's spending plans that will double the national debt in 10 years. Suffice it to say that taxes will not be lower in the future, and to that, the future that IRA withdrawals, whenever they do occur, are taxed at the rate for ordinary income. Suppose you buy 100 shares of XYZ stock and hold it for 20 years. During that time, the value of XYZ stock quadruples. If you were investing in a non-qualified account, one using after-tax dollars, you would have capital gains taxed to pay when you sell the stock, currently taxed at a much lower rate than ordinary income. Obama's trying to patch this leak in the dike as well. However, if you bought the same stock inside a qualified plan, you would have no tax due when you sell it, but you would have to pay tax at the higher ordinary income rate when you do withdraw your proceeds, assuming you are at least 59 and one half. Otherwise, you will have to pay the higher rate and a 10% additional penalty. So why am I supposed to like this? I prefer that pay-as-you-go approach, whether I am buying groceries or paying taxes, rather than putting off the taxes, which will still have to be paid someday, like I am buying an item on credit. Who makes this stuff up? Many people who were sucked into the IRA trap find they do not need the money at all by the time they retire and would just as soon leave it to their kids. Guess what? That does not work either. Minimum annual withdrawals are required. After age 70, and if you inherit an IRA that has previously not been taxed, guess who gets to pay the taxes? A better mousetrap? Well, that previous discussion certainly does not make me want to run out and open up a traditional IRA account. They do not make a toaster that could even tempt me at this point. Well, maybe if it were shiny and made by Apple. Someday, when I get old enough to retire according to their rules, I will be getting out of the IRA business once and for all. As a young adult, you are actually more fortunate than I was given that the Roth IRA will allow you options that were not available to me when I was funding my IRAs. This is the best choice in most cases for younger people because even though you'll be investing after tax dollars, you will have more options for withdrawing principal early and when you take the earnings out after retirement, there will be no tax due. Do the research yourself and draw your own conclusions, but I think the Roth IRA is a much better mousetrap. The scope of this book is not directed at telling you which investments are best for you. My intent is only to give you guidelines in which to operate. You can then choose how and in what you invest. There are many vehicles tailored to every style of investor, from the most conservative to the professional trader. I will only attempt to share some general parameters that apply to most investments. Keep it growing slowly. Regardless of which investment vehicles you choose, the intent is for your nest egg to grow. You will need a stash of cash when you get ready to plant money trees as discussed in Chapter 14, Retiring Without Permission. The rate at which your investments will grow and the safety of those investments is called the risk-reward ratio. Having a lower risk tolerance generally will produce a lower return on capital. But that is not all bad. It is not a race. And it is good to remember that return of capital is even more important than return on capital. The higher risk investments, which may promise exceptional returns, can result in a total loss of your hard-earned savings. And I speak from experience. So you must choose vehicles that match the particular risk-reward ratio with which you are comfortable. The Harlem Globetrotters. If you have ever watched the Harlem Globetrotters play against an ordinary basketball team, then you will understand what it will be like for you to try to outsmart the professional traders in the markets. There are people who live and breathe every type of investment on this planet. They have walls full of monitors that watch every tick up and down. They know about the weather in Florida or a natural disaster that will affect the markets long before you hear about it on the news. This is a worldwide marketplace that never sleeps, even though you have to. There may be an opening and closing bell on your exchange, but the same vehicles are trading on other exchanges around the globe that will affect tomorrow's opening price. 
Do you really think you can compete with people who live and breathe investments? Maybe you subscribe to investment periodicals and get the latest tip on a hot stock. Guess what? By the time you are reading about it, the position has most likely already moved against you. The nature of markets is that they never trade straight up or straight down. At any given point, the price could go either way. The trick is being able to predict longer term trends correctly and having the staying power to go the distance. That is hard to do if the market turns against you on a short-term trend and you watch your value plummet. Most people will panic and bail out at the wrong time only to find the price goes back up right after they sell. So if picking the right individual stocks is difficult, what about mutual funds? Did you know there are more mutual funds traded than there are individual stocks that make up the funds? How do you know you will pick the right 29-year-old fund manager? You cannot just pick last year's winners because a fund that goes up significantly two years in a row is a rarity. You have to be able to predict what the next hot fund or sector will be to stay ahead of the curve. Occasionally you will be right, but most of the time you will not be. It is difficult to beat the market consistently. If it were easy, everyone would do it. So what do you do? Mistakes and advice. The comforting thing for you is that if I can make all the mistakes I have made in my investing career and still come out ahead in the end, you will be able to also, hopefully without making some of the same ones. Unless you are willing to swim with the big fish and take the associated risks, I would recommend keeping the bulk of your savings in very conservative investments that grow slowly until your account is large enough to warrant a professional manager. If you do not want to be eaten in the shark tank, then you will need to hire a big fish to manage your money. Having a professional asset manager does not mean that your funds will necessarily be safe. They will still be at risk, but if you will do your homework and choose the right manager, you will hopefully have experience on your side. Perhaps you have recognized that you may not have enough time, inclination, or experience to choose specific investments yourself. At the same time, you should not go into any arrangement or investment blind. Otherwise, someone else will have your money and you will have the experience. Losing years of savings is not how you want to gain your experience. I would recommend trading with Monopoly money in real time before you use or lose your own. That is true whether you want to trade stocks, bonds, mutual funds, emerging markets, options, derivatives, commodities, currencies, or any other vehicle. When you are good enough to make money with imaginary dollars, then you can take the plunge, but not before. There are plenty of online platforms designed to teach trading skills that offer demo accounts for paper trading. Use these resources to train yourself even if you are planning to hire a portfolio manager. You will still want to know what is going on with your money. Just like the door-to-door salesman discussed in chapter 9, wanting the right things, once you get a little money put aside, you will get phone calls from agents or brokers wanting to help you invest. Remember not to buy anything that was not your idea first. This is equally true with unsolicited help from investment bankers. They have an inventory of product or stocks that they have to move because their mothership makes a market in those issues. Well, what a surprise. Guess which stocks they want you to buy. You will need a manager that is objective and does not have an agenda other than keeping your best interest paramount. You will have to pay a small percentage of your portfolio periodically for this type of management, but when you find the right one, it will be worth it. Hint, I am not talking about financial planners. That is code for life insurance salesmen. See Raptor in chapter 12. They are not objective and more often than not think that the solution to all of your problems is to buy more life insurance. I will cover the topic of life insurance in more detail in chapter 12, life insurance. While historical performance is no indication of future results, in the case of money managers, it can be a pretty good litmus test. 
Historical performance will show you if they know when to be fully invested in the market and when to be out and what vehicles, markets, or sectors to choose. A skilled manager will have access to vehicles that can make money in, up, or down markets. Remember that markets never go straight up or straight down. There are bear market rallies and corrections in bull markets. It makes me dizzy just thinking about it. Good luck with that. AU. In the periodic table, the symbol for gold is AU. There is much to be said for the yellow metal, but for my purposes, I will just say that it is probably the single best hedge against a declining dollar. As the value of the dollar falls, the price of gold, in dollar terms, increases. How much of your portfolio you devote to gold is your choice, but I believe that a small percentage of every portfolio should include some physical gold and silver bullion and high-quality gold stocks. As of this writing, 2009, gold is currently at a record high in dollar terms, near $1,000 per ounce, but it is nowhere near the $800 record level up of the 1970s after adjusting for inflation. I believe there is still much upside potential in gold, particularly if you share my belief that Obama's spending habits will devalue our currency. Gold has been very good to me over the years and I expect it will continue to be a long-term hold.